Well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Good. That was a powerful time of worship, right? I'm so thankful for the spirit in the room, and I believe that he's going to continue to work in our midst, even in these next few moments. Um, if you're kind of, if you're new, or you're visiting, or um, maybe you are a former or a current, you know, Corbett Avenir checking out some guy who's about to be on stage, uh, I want to give you guys a really quick heads up on what's going on and uh, how this is all um, happening right now. Uh, about a month ago, our lead pastor, Mark, um, needed to kind of take some time, uh, an undetermined amount of time in a, for a medical leave of absence. And uh, in his stead, uh, I have been asked to kind of be the interim lead pastor. Um, but I don't want any of you to hear me preach every week. Um, in fact, one of, uh, one of our friends, one of our leaders here said, I think now more than ever is a great time for us to rely on the strength of our house. And what that means, and uh, we've re we're really sticking to that um, lately, and what that means is that you're going to hear everybody on staff here uh, preach at least one time, and we just want to make sure that uh, we're just really leaning on the strength of our house and all that God has to say through and say to everybody on staff. And uh, among that, we also wanted to uh, hear from some voices who have a really special um, place in kind of the history and uh, around here at Crosspoint. And so we are in this series called Potpourri. And if you're familiar with Jeopardy at all, there's this one category that they just don't know where to put any of the questions. It's like you have like you know, American presidents and Canadian provinces and, you know, rock and roll hall of famers, potpourri. Like there's just this category where these random things kind of go in. And I don't, while I'm saying, I don't believe that what we're about to hear is random at all. What we really want to do is just hear what God is doing on people's hearts and hear what God is doing in and around our staff and uh, some of the pastors on our district and, uh, and close by. And so I am so excited to introduce to you guys um, someone who is not just close to, to me as a friend and uh, especially close to Pastor Mark as a friend and as a confidant, um, but uh, someone who has served the city of Fredericton for many years. And uh, many of us know and love Pastor A.J. Plasier, and I would just love for us as a church uh, to just give him some honor and, and welcome him to the stage this evening. A.J. Plasier, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, I am here, as Jamie said, because I love your pastor. Uh, you guys have a great pastor. And so when, uh, when he started texting me saying there was a unique season of life coming, my thought was, well, it's time to take some vacation and go visit Mark. And so uh, I took some vacation time to come over here, brought my son, uh, spent some time with Mark and Liz, who I love dearly. Uh, and when Jamie and I started chatting about preaching at uh, one of the services, that just became like an easy win as well, um, because I still have an invested interest in Fredericton. Um, I still have an invested interest in Crosspoint doing well, the churches in Fredericton doing well. So I am, I am very honored that you would have me here tonight. Uh, I want to bring a sermon uh, to you that's less sermon and more just a kind of a word from the heart. Uh, when Jamie pitched this to me, he said, share something that you're learning, share something that God is teaching you. And so I want to walk you through something that God's been working through in my heart, and it actually begins in Fredericton, uh, probably eight or nine years ago. I went over to the hospital one evening to do a hospital visit, which I am not gifted at, but required to do by nature of, of the calling. And so I went into the hospital room to spend some time with a man who was uh, def definitely on his last hours. 
And so I, I sat in there being 29 years old, maybe 30, and uh, journey with the family through that time. And if you've never done that, if you've never sat with the family at that crucial time, uh, you know the room is really unique. Uh, you know the room is messy, uh, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and yet it's extremely sacred. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's a really unique, unique moment. And so I felt uh, extremely uncomfortable to be there. And it's not, that's not my kind of room. Uh, give me an angry church person any day of the week. Uh, the matter you are tonight, I'll see you in the foyer after. I love angry Christians. They're just kind of, that's my sweet spot. Uh, <laughs> grieving people, not so much. And so I'm sitting there, and uh, as this man passes from this life to glory, uh, just the fatigue of being in that room kind of washes over me, like, I am ex I'm exhausted. And so I go home that night, crawl into bed, and get up the next morning, and I get another call that so-and-so's had a baby who just stopped by for a few moments. And so I go back to this very same hospital, uh, go up the very same set of elevators, but go to a different floor, uh, different room, different family, and it's joyous and bubbly and baby atmosphere and gifts and you, you know that kind of room too. And I remember getting back onto the elevator and, and heading back down and heading to my car and I, I had this thought as clear as, as clear as day, well, that's just life right there. That's life. One minute you're grieving with family and death and the next minute you're celebrating with joy and new birth. Does that connect with anybody here? And I started processing how that works, and, 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 and maybe you're, you're thinking, like, that sh probably shouldn't come to you at 30 years old. Like, in your line of work, you, you should have had that thought already, but it was such a contrast, back-to-back -back moments where I, I think I grew up thinking that life was way, way more like a plane ride. When you're young, you kind of take off. You hit the school years, you get your education, you get into a job, you make more and more and more, and then maybe you peak. And you ride those peak years, earning years, family, kids, whatever, and you're just enjoying those years until, let's be honest, the slow decline, right? Anyone here on a slow decline? Like, you're like, you know, I got a couple good years left, but they're limited. I got like one good fight in me left. I know it's, I got one, I'm going to save it until the right moment. And it's, you know, the slow decline until that soft landing and it's over. Like, I thought that was life. And I thought it was like a plane ride, and that described life. And what I've come to find out, and I think what you already know to be true, life isn't a plane ride. Life is a roller coaster ride. And man, just when you think you're on the way up, uh, the bottom falls out. And just when you think you're used to going one direction, it takes a hard turn on you, doesn't it? And as soon as you brace yourself, all of a sudden it's climbing again. It's, it's all over the place. Then what happens and why I find this is interesting is that, in, at least in the churches I've been a part of, and maybe it's not true here, but what people tend to do is they tend to build their theology out of their circumstances. What tends to happen is people build their theology and what they believe to be true about God out of the experiences and out of their circumstances. And what we need to do as Christians is not have our circumstances inform our theology or inform who God is. We need who our God is to inform our circumstances. And so I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that God kind of used me to walk through this. And it's, uh, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if you're here and you don't know the 23rd Psalm. I mean, I don't know how tall I was, maybe this tall, when I got the gold star beside my name for memorizing the 23rd Psalm. 
Like, it's probably one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, maybe only behind John 3, 16. And, and, and a lot of times when we read the 23rd Psalm, we, we are struck by the circumstances that he talks about. But what I want to do for a few moments this evening is actually not talk as much about the circumstances, but more about the God in the circumstances. So if you would, join with me in the 23rd Psalm. Whether you brought your Bibles, your iPhones, whatever it is you bring with you uh, to read the Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. I'm reading from the ESV uh, because I'm a snob. And so uh, if you want to join me in the ESV tonight, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Can I introduce you to a God who likes to bless people? Uh, here's my favorite thing about God. I love when God loves to bless me. Anybody else like that? Listen, nobody loves me more than me. Nobody. And I love me a lot. And so the more that God loves me and does good things for me, I'm just happier. Let's be honest. Like, I just love when God's providing for what I need. Can I get an amen? I love when God gives me rest. Any parents in the room that could use some providential rest. I love naps. I love sleep. And the more kids we have and the more they run around, the more I love it when I get it. And so I love when God provides green pastures and leaves me beside still waters, and I love the renewal and the protection, and I love God loving me a lot. What the danger is, though, on this journey of me loving me and God loving me, I start to love the blessings of God more than the blessing giver. If I'm not careful and if I don't take myself back to passages like this, what I start to do is I start to enjoy the gifts and not the gift giver. I start to cling a little too tight to the gifts. I start to hover around the gifts a little much. I start to obsess over my gifts and pray for gifts and more gifts. And, and what I forget to do is be thankful for the gift giver. And so I need these reminders that, that, that the source of my, of my blessings and my gifts come from God. And as I read this passage of Scripture over and over again, I wrote in the corner, God, why would you do this? Because as much as I love me, I also know me really well. And one thing I know about me is I don't deserve his gifts. And when I read this passage, I need that last phrase to echo loud and clear. Why would God do this? He does all this for his name's sake. He does not give you gifts because you deserved it. Even better than that, he does not give you gifts because you've earned it. He gives you good gifts and he blesses you because this is in his character and nature to do it. He's a good father. We all went through Christmas, or many of us went through Christmas recently, and if you didn't have the joy of kids around the Christmas tree, I'm sorry. <laughs> you missed out on the excitement of kids opening presents and that insatiable hunger for more presents. My, my son literally finished opening the last gift. Caleb, what do you want to do today? Can we go to the store? There's gifts as far as the eye can see, and this kid has an appetite for more. But I got to confess Something inside of me flared up that said, 
Yeah, if they were open, let's go, bud. Like, I love blessing my kids. I want to bless them. I, I want to pour out blessings. And I think we have a theology of God sometimes where we think that you have to pry gifts from him. He loves to bless. And so I, I love this first passage where I'm reminded of how good our God is. I need to be reminded of the blessings and where the blessings come from. I need to be reminded that it's in his nature to want to give good gifts. But you and I all know in this room there's another transitions passage coming, isn't there? Read a little further. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. What happens when you leave the still waters and you leave the green pastures and you have to walk through a season of the valley of the shadow of death? Do you ever find passages of scripture where you want to take your marker out and just kind of scribble them out? Like there are passages that I wish I could come to and say, like, nope, not in my Bible, it's gonna take that one out. Because I don't want that to be true. I don't want it to be true that the God who blesses me will also lead me through difficult seasons. I just want the blessing side. But I'm, I can't trick you. I can't pretend that there are only blessings in life, that we know we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and the thing is here, the valley of the shadow of death looks different for each and every person here. For, for, for one person in this room, it could be spiritual dryness. You hear Jamie get up and say, wasn't that great worship? And you're thinking, no. <laughs> I've had better. <laughs> like, sit down, boy. I remember yesteryear, that worship pastor we had 10 years ago, James, you can't hold a candle to him. It's really your spirit to dry. You look across the room and someone's got their hands raised and tears coming down, and you're like, pull it together. <laughs> like, seriously. We're educated people, we're from Fredericton. Like, come on. For some of you, it's not spiritual dryness, some of you, it's work loss. Like the job that you love disappeared. Your opinion wasn't asked, it was just taken. And now you're figuring out like, okay, I got the house and I got the truck, and I'm not quite sure how everything's gonna work out. For some of you, it's relational tension. It kills you to know that somebody in this world does not like you, and you can't fix it. For some of you, it's actual death. You are still grieving somebody. You still have the loss of somebody in your mind that you're like, I, Every day I still think about them. I'm not sure I'm going to cope without them. Financial strain, mental anguish, opposition and persecution. On and on it goes. The valley of the shadow of death is guaranteed for everybody, but it looks different for each person. It's going to come. From Genesis 3 forward, we live in a broken and fallen world. And so what I want to do for just a couple minutes is, yes, we love the mountaintops, and I love a God who blesses, and I love when he particularly blesses me, but we know there's two sides of life. And the God who walks with us on the mountaintop also promises that there are valleys coming. And I wanna encourage you for just a couple moments. And the first thing I would encourage you with, if you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, is to exchange the why for what. My office has been filled with people who want the answer to why. I sat with a woman in Yarmouth. Two weeks after I got there, her daughter had committed suicide and her only question was why. Why did she do this? Why would God allow this? Why didn't God stop this? Why, and just endless questions of why, I don't know. 
I would invite you, if you are asking the why question tonight, if you are in the valley of death, why is my job gone? Why did my loved one pass away? Why are things not going my direction? I would, I would implore you to get rid of why and ask what. Why will drive you nutty? What is, God, what are you trying to show me? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what does he want me to see about you that I could not have seen if I did not walk through this valley? God, what are you trying to do in my family, in my life? What is it you want to do? And many people will miss the what of a season because they're focused on the why. And I'm here to tell you, and you might not like this part of the sermon, I believe God will lead us through similar valleys until we learn the what that he always intended for us to learn. So I would invite you, dump why and start asking what. I would invite you to find comfort in the valley. Now there's a big, big difference. Please don't confuse finding comfort with being comfortable. I'm not saying it's comfortable to be in the valley. I'm saying there's comfort in the valley. The, the psalmist said that I am comforted, your rod and your staff. There's guidance and there's protection. He's not comfortable because of anything in of himself or the power of positive thinking. He is comforted and he's finding comfort because of the shepherd that's guiding him. Oh, thir third thing I would like to tell you if you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death today, and this is absolutely unequivocally my favorite point. So if you've zoned out, pull it back in just for a couple seconds. Keep moving. Keep moving. My favorite part of this psalm is he says, I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There's more hope in that word through than I can convey in this sermon. But what we do, instead of seeing it as something we're passing through, we kind of throw up our hands and we sit down. And we build a house. We set up a village there and we just start living in the valley of the shadow of death as though today predicts our future. And that the reality of today will determine our future. We just stop, we quit, we throw up our hands, we get discouraged. And I'm not saying your feelings aren't fear, I'm just saying there's a promise in this passage that no matter how dark your season is, God's promise is that he'll lead you through it. Don't stay there. One of the great Christian virtues that we have lost, that the, that the early Christians just clung to, was this good, rich word called perseverance. Getting punched in the mouth and keep moving. Getting kicked in the soul and just keep your feet moving. And so if you're in the valley, my word to you is God is still in control. That when the psalmist said he was in the valley, he did not say he was in the valley alone. He was passing through with his shepherd. Last thing I would tell you tonight, if you are passing through the valley of the shadow of death, is lift up your head. I'm not saying plant a smile on your face, but I am saying lift up your head and look around. I think one of the really difficult things in the valley is to lose perspective. He says he's not fearful, and I think the reason why the psalmist says he's journeying through and he's not fearful is because he can keep his eyes fixed on the shepherd. The whole time he's got his eyes locked on the shepherd who is guiding him and protecting him. He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He's not not fearing evil because he's strong. He's not not afraid because of something inside him. 
He's not not fearful because of a church service or a church family he's a part of, as great as those things are. His not fear comes from the shepherd who's walking with him. And what I love about this is that in the valleys of the shadow of death, there, there often brings fresh revelation of who God is. It's interesting when you talk to somebody who, who has gone through the valley after the fact, they will almost always say there were things that they learned about who God is and who he is to them specifically that they could not learn on the mountaintop. And that's one of those really difficult realizations as the, maturity, as the mature Christians that we need the valleys. We don't necessarily want them or wish them, but we need them in our, mature, in our maturation process that God shows up in the valley and does something new. And so I want to close with just one last thought as we get ready to worship again. Wherever you're going through, what I love about the 23rd Psalm, whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in the valley, the option of the Christian, the option of the Christian through generations was to worship. I think what we tend to do is let our feelings dictate our worship and not our God dictate our worship. I think we come to church sometimes and we, we, let the, we let the song list dictate our worship. We let the message dictate our worship. We let the volume of the music dictate our worship and so on and so on. And what, what the psalmist tells us is that it's God who dictates our worship because it's the same God who's on the mountaintop, the same God who's in the valley. And Jesus comes along in the New Testament and his great promise was that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I think we nod our head like that, that's a nice sentiment but for Christians, for generations upon generations, that was their hope. That no matter what the, what the world threw at them, they knew that Jesus was with them. And so I wanna move you for hopefully tonight as we sing one last song or maybe two last songs to move from a reality that you know to be true out there into is it true for me? That if, if, you're, if everything in your life tonight is winning and up and to the right, that's fantastic. That should drive your worship. You, you are the recipient of God's good gifts. Every good and gift comes from the Father above. But maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're, you're at the bottom. And just when you thought you hit the bottom, you went like five meters deeper. You can still worship. God will be with you. God will provide and he will lead you through it. He will not leave you there. And so I wanna tell you tonight, there's power in declaring these truths before you find yourself in a season you don't want to be in. There's power in lifting up these truths now to know that my season does not define me and my circumstances do not define my God. My God defines my circumstances.